If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. All right, sorry I'm late getting home. There was uh, there was a, an issue down the road. You know the uh, the people that live down the road that have the uh, the trampoline uh, chicken coop? Yes. Yeah, yeah, they've adapted a trampoline into a chicken coop. Uh, there was a fire truck in front of their house. Really? Yeah, and traffic was all backed up, and uh, the guy was standing in his driveway. So I rolled my window down. I said, hey, what, what's going on? <laughs> he lives on the lake like we do, and evidently he was uh, he was playing with some fireworks. And this is interesting because we were just talking about Darwin Awards sure. in the last episode. He was shooting fireworks off from the shore in front of his his home, he was shooting them out of a vacuum cleaner hose that was secured to his birch bark canoe. That doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. Apparently birch bark is, uh, well, quite flammable. Sure. And so he burned down his, his canoe on his, on his beachfront property. Well, I mean, uh, main ingenuity, uh, (laughs) we find interesting ways to get things done. And sometimes that leads to small fires. Awesome displays of pyrotechnics. (laughs) That's true, though. We are rather resourceful. Give a person from Maine a coat hanger and some duct tape, and they can fashion any type of a useful tool out of it. It's true. We are like a state full of MacGyvers. In fact, that's our, our state motto, home of the MacGyvers. E pluribus MacGyver. Welcome back to the Box of Oddities, you freak. We're so glad you're part of the uh, of the tribe. We're very happy to have you here. The Box of Oddities, true stories of the weird. Uh, I go first. I'm excited. Going to talk a little bit about, again, one of my favorite topics, abandoned places. Ooh. 
And eight or ten episodes ago, I had uh, I had mentioned this briefly: Waverly Hills Sanitarium and Tuberculosis Hospital. Yes, this isn't this the building that the worst movie that I've ever seen is based on. You mean the best movie ever made, Death Tunnel? Yes. <laughs> The movie that bonded us uh, yeah. and and made us know that we were we were for each other. The history of Waverly Hills is uh, a very dark one. Tuberculosis, of course, was uh, well, it was a death sentence most of the time before the uh, advent of uh, of antibiotics. Now, what was it like to have tuberculosis? I was just going to say, I actually don't know that much about tuberculosis other than coughing up blood. Okay. I'm going to be pulling information from uh, uh, Wikipedia, darkstories.com, and Ranker. Okay. But having tuberculosis, imagine this. You're not able to get air into your lungs because your throat is closing up inside. It's something that's unseen. It's uh, congesting. It's constricting the tissues. It's like you've got little invisible hands in there squeezing your throat your chest feels like it is going to explode your lungs feel like they're on fire when you cough you cough up clumps of bright red blood spew right because it's not just blood right it's tissue also you're coughing up your lungs your actual pieces of of your lungs the buzzing and the dizziness that you feel that's in your head it's 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 a combination of the fever and not being able to get enough air into your system yeah. capillaries explode in your eyes because of the violent coughing your skin turns a ghastly pasty white because uh, the body has stopped producing enough red blood cells to keep the pigment in your skin that's why they called it the white plague is a horrible way to die. Absolutely. In 1900 in Louisville, Kentucky, they had the highest tuberculosis death rate in the country. This was due to the fact that uh, Louisville uh, is such a low valley area and before development was basically swampland and uh, it was a perfect breeding ground for the tuberculosis bacteria. Yeah. As with many other towns and cities across the country, hospitals were needed to care for the sick. So in 1910, they erected a a wooden two-story hospital with 40 beds. It opened uh, in southern Jefferson County, um, and they were hoping that this would, uh, would be enough, but it wasn't. They were just overrun there, so they had to expand greatly. And tuberculosis is airborne, yes? Yes, I believe it is. Uh, it is airborne. So the land that is today known as Waverly Hill was purchased by uh, Major Thomas H. Hayes in 1888 as the family home. Since the new home was so far away from existing schools, Mr. Hayes opened up a school for his daughters to attend. He uh, started a a one-room schoolhouse on Pages Lane and hired uh, somebody named Lizzie Lee Harris to be the teacher. And due to Mrs. Harris's fondness of Walter Scott's Waverly novel, she named the schoolhouse Waverly. Oh. Now, he really liked that. So he, it sounded you know peaceful to him. So he named his properly, uh, property Waverly Hill. And uh, the board of Tuberculosis Hospital kept the name when they bought the land and opened up the original wooden hospital. Yeah, I can definitely see if you didn't already have associations with the term Waverly, that it would sound calming and peaceful. Yeah. But when I hear Waverly, I do not feel calming and peaceful. 
Because I already have an association with that word. <laughs> yeah. Haunted tuberculosis hospital. Well, that yeah. mostly the worst movie I've ever seen. Oh, but yes. Death tunnel. And by worst, you mean greatest. So anyway, they had to expand. They, uh, they needed to build a new hospital because the tuberculosis population was just so immense. Land was donated and $11 million was used to start construction in 1924. The hospital opened in 1926. During its run as a tuberculosis hospital, it is estimated, and they don't know exactly the number because so many records were destroyed, but they think that it is very fair to estimate that just from tuberculosis, 64,000 people died in that hospital. Whoa. 64,000. And that's a conservative guess. Yes. Oh, whoa. Some estimate over 100,000 people. Now, many patients that came to Waverly were actually cured and became well enough to once again enter society, but uh, most of them were not so fortunate. Again, they didn't have antibiotics back then. The state of the medical community was not advanced enough to really help these people. They were kind of floundering around. They didn't know what the best practice to cure tuberculosis was. And so some of the treatments were really quite barbaric and even pointless by today's standards. Lungs were exposed to ultraviolet light to try to stop the spread of the bacteria. Uh, This was done in early versions of sunrooms. They used artificial light to mimic the effects of sunlight. Fresh air was often thought to be the cure. So you had these big open porches that were just lined with beds, hundreds of them, from one end of the facility to the other on an open porch in the winter time. Yeah, yeah, and you always hear about um, people being moved out to the country for the the yeah. fresh air to to cure the tuberculosis, or um, islands being taken over and people just being put on the island. <laughs> yes, yeah. Here you go. Yep. They put them on boats at one point. Photographs still exist that show many of the dying literally covered in snow. But still placed outside, some even up on the roof of this facility, uh, in hopes that the fresh air would would help. Many of the treatments were even harsher and, and much bloodier. Balloons were surgically implanted into the lungs and then filled with air to try to expand them more. What? Often with disastrous results. Well, yeah, you can't, you can't just, you no. Hydrotherapy often caused pneumonia, but some experiments were useful. And uh, these procedures are still used today, but most of them were really pretty, pretty nasty and invasive. Well, because they were still learning about the disease, they were kind of, well, you use the word experimenting, and that's true. People were being used as guinea pigs to see what might and might not work. And yeah, it's yeah. with some pretty gross results. They even did a surgical procedure, very invasive, where the chest of the patient was opened and then the cords of muscle and up to seven ribs were removed. The opening was then closed up with the idea that the lungs would be free to expand and would have more room. Uh, this particular bloody procedure was only attempted as a last resort, because the survival rate was 5%. Yeah, well, I mean, you're in a building full of pretty much terminally ill people, and you're just opening up people's chest cavities. I doubt the 
let's say, sterility of these places was top notch. No, no, no. Now, because of the high mortality rate, because they had 64,000 plus people die in this facility over, over the years, they had to come up with a way of disposing of the dead bodies. And this is where the whole death tunnel thing comes into play. Mm-hmm. To keep the patients from seeing all the bodies being removed from the hospital, they built a, uh, a death tunnel, they called it. It was a body chute from the basement of the hotel. It went down the side of the mountain and came out on the main road. And, and they had like a, a little track car that would uh, like a little train car type of uh, device that would lower the bodies down to the um, the area where they could load them on box cars in many cases and and, and get them out of the uh, area without being seen and uh, frightening and demoralizing the patients that were trying to survive now you did say hotel I, if that's a hotel, it's the worst. No, no. Even worse than the Cecil. It's a, sorry, hospital. The tunnel that led from the hospital to the railroad tracks at the bottom of the hill had a, a steam power system that uh, motorized the rail and the cable system, and the bodies were lowered out that way. A small steam plant on the property heated the tunnel as well as the hospital and provided warmth for the maintenance workers that lived off the property. This was also the entrance to work for a lot of people. Oh. You would walk up the tunnel and, oh, there goes uh, 20 bodies. Yeah, that's um, that's not good company culture. That's not a great way to walk in. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, there there's so much uh, improvement, uh, I would say, that, mm. that companies are really putting into how their employees feel when they come into work every day. I know I'm excited to not pass a bunch of dead bodies. <laughs> When I go into work. Yeah, it's really hard to incorporate dead bodies into team building exercises. Right. Now, because of the vast number of people that were dying all the time, they the morgue would stack up pretty quickly. And these were days where they didn't have large refrigeration vaults to keep the bodies in. Right. So one of the things that they did in order to deal with this issue was they bled the bodies. They actually, in the morgue, would hang the bodies upside down and drain them all of blood down through like a sewer grate before they would ship them out. That's nightmarish. (laughs) It is horrific. Right. Plus, with that number of bodies... I mean, I imagine that even a decent-sized city's sewer system would have a hard time managing that much blood. (laughs) It's so gross. Now we call it medical waste. Mm. The tunnel was totally enclosed from the morgue wing of the hospital, and um, they would bleed out the bodies. They would stack them up on cars, and they would ship them down to the railroad. I mean, it was an industrial process at the height of all of this. Over the years, tales of patient mistreatment and unusual experiments have filtered down uh, from the hill. Some of them have been proven false, while others, unfortunately, have turned out to be true. Electroshock therapy was widely used. The... This... This page in history and the treatment of uh, people with mental health issues is one of the things that hurts my heart the most. During the 60s and 70s, uh, a time of budget cuts for facilities of this type, 
Uh, there were many well-documented cases of horrible conditions and unusual treatments, and uh, certainly Waverly was not the only one. Now, this is during a period where it was called Woodhaven Geriatric Center. It was a nursing facility. Oh. Woodhaven was closed by the state in 1982, allegedly due to patient neglect. The building was bought by a guy named J. Clifford Todd in 1983 for $3 million. He was an architect. He wanted to uh, erect a giant uh, Jesus the Redeemer statue like like the one in Rio de Janeiro. He was going to put that up there and uh, then turn the hospital into a hotel with gift shop and that sort of thing. The plan to construct the religious icon fell through because donations to the project uh, were well short of expectation. Again, he was looking at having to spend about $8 million to do this, and over a period of one year, he raised uh, 3000 Oh, well, you'd get just a, a little miniature Jesus the Redeemer. and Doesn't have the same effect. No. In 2001, uh, this beautiful old building had been ravaged by time, elements, and vandals. Uh, Waverly Hills had become every town's haunted house. Vagrants took to living up there. Kids broke in. There were all kinds of tales of haunted activity being witnessed up there. Of course. It's the, the basis for every third cheesy horror movie. There were tales of satanic rituals up there, tales of a little girl running up and down the third floor solarium playing hide-and-seek with trespassers, a little boy playing with a leather ball, um, doors slamming, disembodied voices, a hearse driving up and dropping off coffins, an old woman running from the front door with her wrists bleeding, screaming, help me, somebody save me. That's when Tina and Charlie Mattingly bought the place. Sure. Charming, TLC. These are just some of the keywords that we'd use in our real estate ad for this place. It's a (laughs) fixer-upper. Great starter place. Needs some love. (laughs) Now, they hold tours of Waverly, and they host a haunted house attraction each Halloween with the proceeds going toward restoration of the property. Uh, They're currently restoring all the windows in the building, and there are hundreds of them, so that alone is a huge undertaking. I worry that that's tacky. Isn't that tacky to host like a haunted house at a place where so many people lost their lives and were tortured Mm. and in some cases probably murdered? (sighs) That's I mean, a, it's that's uh, an ethics question for sure. And if the dollars from this were going to something like improving the state of mental health facilities or something like that, I might kind of go like, oh, yeah, OK. But the dollars are just going to making their building better. True. But they're saving a piece of history. I guess that's true. No, that's true. And I do appreciate that. Some of the dark history involving Waverly. Room 502. It seems to be the center uh, for disaster there, according to local legend and some surviving records of the hospital. In 1928, the head nurse of room 502 was found hanging from a light fixture, and it was believed to be a suicide triggered by depression over an unwanted pregnancy. No one knows how long she hung there before somebody found her. Not four years later, this would have been in the early 30s, another nurse who worked in room 502 one night just quietly walked up to the roof patio and without saying anything, just kind of walked off the edge of the building and killed herself. No records exist to explain why she did this. Some believe she was pushed off the edge, but most people just uh, just don't know. 
Another legend stems from the experiences of uh, the Louisville Ghost Hunters Society when they visit, visited Waverly. They found uh, the kitchen in shambles. Windows, tables, and chairs were all broken and piled up in the center. There were puddles of stagnant water everywhere due to the leaky roof at the time. The cafeteria was in a similar uh, state of disrepair. Finding nothing useful, the team tried to leave, but before they could, they heard footsteps, and then they heard the door swing shut, and then they noticed the smell of freshly baked bread. No one else was in the building, let alone using this kitchen to bake bread. No explanation has been uh, has been provided. I wonder if that would ruin fresh baked bread for you for the rest of your life. Because the smell normally would, for most people, I imagine, kind of fill you with a sense of comfort and, oh, that's nice, and mm. bread's on the way, thumbs up. But in this case, that would remind you of the most terrifying moment of your life. And would that, like, would walking into a subway from that moment on kind of make you a little nauseated? That's an excellent question because <laughs> you associate emotion with smell yeah, yeah. so closely. True Ghost Tales featured a story uh, by Joey, a visitor to Waverly Hills. Uh, after Joey and a few of his friends learned about the spooky history of the place, they had their own haunted experience. After touring the building, they headed to the roof to decompress. They began to see shadows moving around. They started getting scared. Joey's friend Chris got so scared, he wanted to jump off the roof. The group went back inside. Uh, they felt like they were being pursued by these shadow people. They started to hear doors slamming shut behind them as they left. Mysterious footprints appeared from nowhere in puddles of water. Chris began to cry. The rest of the group barely held it together, but finally they made it outside and got into uh, Joey's sister's car. Were their minds playing tricks on them? It seemed like they were all kind of seeing the same thing. Did they have an encounter with uh, the souls of dead tuberculosis patients? It's just really hard to say. Was Joey like, whoa? <laughs> <A> Joey Lawrence reference. <laughs> for all you kids of the 90s. I'm so sorry. <laughs> One of the saddest ghost stories is that of an elderly woman who supposedly roams the hospital moaning and bleeding from her chained hands and feet. Though she cries for help when outsiders approach her, she runs away screaming in terror. Uh, this particular ghost is a, a poignant and terrifying reminder of the suffering that the patients did endure there. Yeah. And then there's the little boy, whose name is Timmy, and he's actually been uh, recorded on EVPs. Since he died, with his whole life ahead of him, his spirit can't move on and he wanders around the hospital but he's trying to have fun he's a little boy so people bring in balls for him to play with and many claim they have seen the balls moving seemingly on their own i've actually seen video of this where they um they sprinkle the area with talcum powder mm -hmm. and then set the ball down on it and um, they set up cameras and they came back and they could see in the talcum powder where the ball had rolled around and they went and checked the footage and the ball is just moving on its own. It's mm -hmm. it wouldn't be hard to fake the video. I get that, but um, <laughs> they swear it's real. Uh -huh. Here's one that's going to freak you out. Have you ever had that overwhelming feeling of doom? Uh, yeah. That you can't explain. Well, there's a being there that they call the creeper. The Ooh. creeper is a dark, terrifying entity that crawls along the floors and walls and up to the ceiling of Waverly Hills. Uh -uh. Some believe it's another worldly spirit or demonic force. Others believe it's a human spirit that's been twisted by the trauma of tubercular death. Whatever its true nature, those who encounter it are invariably filled with uh, with dread. I, 
I know how you get. I'm the same way, maybe not quite to the extent, but whenever we see a movie and uh, a demon or a creature scurries up the side of the wall and hides in the corner of the ceiling, you about come out of your skin. I just don't like unnatural movement. That's all. It's not weird. That's normal. That's the way that you should look at things. It's not right. It's wrong. It's bad. <laughs> there have been sightings uh, of doppelgangers what? or double walkers. They're a type of spirit that can mimic the appearance, voice, and mannerisms of anyone or anything that it encounters. There have been tour guides who have uh, run into themselves. Ooh, that's creepy. While doing the uh, the tours or while doing maintenance in the building. I, that would be so upsetting because if you if I ran into me, I don't even know how I would behave because I mean inevitably I would be attracted to me. Well, sure. I don't. Who I, I can't be? even imagine. Would <laughs> you start making out with yourself? I can't tell you. Yeah. It's, that's a toughie. Yeah. That is a toughie. Mary Lee was a young woman who lived in the sanitarium while it was open on September 10th of 2006. Tom Halsted of Missouri Paranormal Research took a photograph of a ghostly apparition that looked almost exactly like Mary. Apparently they had an older photo of her. Mm -hmm. Some believe Mary is the nurse who hung herself in room 502. Others believe she was the daughter of a Waverly Hills doctor who contracted TB herself from prolonged exposure to the patients. I'm going to show you the picture. Yeah, that's not a place where you you take part and bring your daughter to work day. No. Yeah, that's the picture there. I don't know if we can post that. I don't know if we have the rights, but uh, look how distorted her arm is. That's pretty creepy, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty distorted looking photo, so it's hard to say what exactly you're seeing in that photo. Looks like a woman to me with a really long arm. Any hoozle, I want to go there one day. Yeah. And uh, I actually have a friend who lives in Lexington. He listens to the podcast. Maybe he'll put us up. I don't know. I think that probably the idea of staying with a stranger is just as creepy to me <laughs> as going to a haunted sanitarium. Would you like to spend the night there? Would you do that? Would you be willing to spend the night in Waverly Hills it, by, by yourself or, or with me? Like in a clean room, like with nice bedding and stuff? Well, I don't know how... Nice, the bedding. I mean, I'm not going to lay down on a gross old cot. Well, let's no. say let's say we we bring proper bedding accoutrement. Mm -hmm. We bring like say uh, a foldable cot with a nice comfy mattress and mm -hmm. clean sheets and uh, expensive pillows and maybe a nice little bedside table with a lamp so you could read. Okay. But you're surrounded by whatever's there. Would you do that? Well, can I have like a small rug? Because I, you know, I want my my sure. feet not to be getting grimy before bedtime sure sure you could have a little grimy feet. nice little throw rug okay yeah that's fine okay what about the ceiling above me is there like stuff that's gonna fall off of the ceiling probably yeah mm, can i have a small net over my sure, bed sure we can then that's it. fine okay all right as long as nothing's gonna like drop down on me mm -hmm. as far as like paint chips or you know bugs or anything like that then yeah okay that's fine you'd do it oh sure well then i would too I w i'll do it if you do it oh i think that could be arranged Anyway, Waverly Hills is scary. The end. <laughs> yes, that was interesting. And I think there's so much more to explore there. And if, if that's something that you want to go and do, then I'm, I'm totally up for it, as long as we do it in a respectful manner and my feet don't get grimy. Right, well, exactly. And now, that thing in the middle. That thing in the middle, a feature that we like to call... That thing in the middle. Wait, 
Oh, I get it. Go ahead. A glitch in the matrix. These are true stories. Allegedly. And I found a compilation of them on the infowebs, and it's amazing, and I couldn't stop reading them. It was a real rabbit hole kind of situation. So, where did you find these? Thought Catalog? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Thought Catalog. My friend and I were talking to our roommate and her girlfriend one night. Roommate had just received her new phone and was sitting in bed using it while the four of us chatted. So, roommate had sat her phone down while we were all chatting. She goes to pick it back up, and it's gone. Like, she had just sat it down for a few minutes tops before she noticed that the thing has poofed. I call it for her, and we can't hear it. We take the comforter and sheets off the bed and shake them all out. We look under the bed, behind it, everywhere we can. That phone is gone. Even though we hadn't left her room at all during our conversation when the phone disappeared, we tore apart the whole apartment trying to find it. Finally, we decide to try her car. It was in the locked trunk. We've all had something maybe not quite as dramatic as that happen to us, where you put something down and you know you left it there and then it ends up in some bizarre place. Like one time I had searing abdominal cramps. I was in the bathroom and um, I reach over for the, uh, the toilet paper. It's not there. And then I look, I look all around and it's up on top of the light fixture. And I thought, glitch in the matrix and then I, I found out later you were just messing with me and that became a whole thing for us too by the way we would hide the toilet paper on each other because it's fun what's not so fun is when you have to then retrieve it for me and <laughs> sweetie yep. sweetie yeah. or what's even <laughs> less fun is when there's nobody home <laughs> you have to resort to your own main native resourcefulness and you end up wiping your butt with a pop tart box that you found in the trash None of that's true. They're not absorbent. It's never happened. There would never be a Pop-Tart box in my bathroom trash. (laughs) Don't be gross. Coming to you from the very tip of North America, this is The Box of Oddities. We love connecting with you, whether it's on social media or uh, on email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. If you've got a glitch in the matrix story, we absolutely want to hear it. Yes, we do. In fact, if you want to record it on your phone and email us the uh, the audio file, maybe we'll play it on the show. Ooh. Yeah, but make sure it sounds good. Got this email from uh, Noah. He says... Hey, I remember a few episodes ago, you were talking about uh, a scrum master, but Jethro said scum, and it was subsequently corrected. However, I think I have one even better than that. We were talking about uh, weird job titles. He said, I work for the uh, world's largest technology, media, and telecom company. I'll let you assume who that is, but our logo resembles the Death Star. Each week, I post all the job openings internally for our stores to see. Today, I was actually looking at the file. For once, I noticed a a, a very inappropriate job title. Are you ready? There's actually two. Number one, Senior Penetration Tester. Number two, Master Penetration Tester. I have no idea what those jobs are, but it makes me wonder, like, do you have to become a senior before you become a master? How much penetration do you have to test on a weekly basis to be considered a senior or a master? There's a lot of penetration going on in a single year, for sure. Sure. Anyway, keep up what you're doing. Bring us freaks together. Give us a home, like adopting us. 
We're all shelter freaks, and you've given us our forever home. <laughs> Thanks for what you do. Thanks, Noah. Love hearing from you. That's awesome. So what you got for me? Okay. You might remember in an interview about three years before her death, Amy Winehouse stated that she was afraid of becoming a member of the 27 Club. Oh, What is the 27 Club? The 27 Club, or the Forever 27 Club, is a list of popular artists who died at the age of 27, and Amy Winehouse did die three years later at the age of 27. There have been songs written about the 27 Club, uh, books dedicated to the idea, documentaries made, etc., etc. It's very widely known in popular culture, but it is not real. And let's talk about it. It's not real. There have been plenty of people that died at 27 who were famous. We're going to talk about it. Okay. Okay. You're blowing my mind. Between the years of 1969 and 1971, several very popular musicians died at the age of 27. Um, And that kind of spurred the idea of the 27 Club. Uh, But it wasn't until 1994 when Kurt Cobain died at the age of 27 that the idea of a 27 Club really became a cultural phenomenon and caught on in public perception and grew. Historically, the 27 Club has been comprised of musicians, but in recent years, it seems to have expanded to include artists of all types. In 2016, for instance, when Anton Yelchin, who was best known for playing Chekhov in the new Star Trek films, he was killed at his home in Los Angeles. And the 27 Club was mentioned in many articles. And now it seems that it's widely accepted that the 27 Club is a place for all artists and not just musicians. Okay. So you're very familiar with the 27 Club, of well, course. I, you... Yeah, Janis Joplin, mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jim Morrison from The Doors. Uh, uh, There's one more that's always cited as the one of the forerunners. Otis? Or, no, he wasn't 27. He wasn't 27? Who was the other one? Brian Jones. Brian Jones, that's right. The Rolling Stones guy. Yeah. Yeah, Those four all died between 1969 and 1971 at the age of 27. And then in 1994, when Kurt Cobain died, and then in 2011, Amy Winehouse died. And having just referenced the 27 Club in that interview three years prior made people lose their minds. And there was article after article after article written about the 27 Club and what it meant and um, those who were included in it. Because mostly of her prophetic statement. Correct. Okay. Studies have concluded that there is no peak risk for death at the age of 27. Unless you're a drug addict. Even then. Yeah. 27 years old doesn't mean anything. Um, There is, though, a higher, a significantly higher risk of death for pop musicians than the general population. One study showed that across the seven decades studied, popular musicians' lifespans were up to 25 years shorter than the comparable U.S. population. Now, is that a function of uh, drug abuse, do you think? Most often. Living fast? It's the lifestyle, yes. And there are actually those who have dedicated their work to increasing the awareness of this and how we as a nation tend to glorify that risky behavior Mm -hmm. and that lifestyle that leads to the death. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. Exactly. Accidental death rates in pop musicians 
were between five and ten times greater than the average U.S. population. Suicide rates between two and seven times greater. And homicide rates were up to eight times greater than the U.S. population. Wow. But in a population of dead musicians spanning seven decades from 1950 to 2010, for which an accurate age of death could be identified... 1.2% 1.2% died at the age of 26, 1.3% died at the age of 27, and 1.4% died at the age of 28. There is no increased mm, mm. risk of death at the age of 27. Does it say what the greatest death rate age is in that study? Yes, but I'm going to get to that. Right? I'm just so engaged. I'm sorry. <laughs> so often... The deaths of these well-known people, these artists, these uh, live fast, die young kind of musicians um, are violent, are associated with substance abuse. And let's talk about that a bit. Kurt Cobain, obviously controversy still surrounds his death. Um, He died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound, allegedly. Allegedly. In 1994, Amy Winehouse, 2011, drugs and alcohol. She died of an alcohol overdose. Jimi Hendrix, as we know, asphyxiated on his own vomit. Um, Sleeping pills were said to be the cause of that in 1970. Janis Joplin assumed heroin overdose. Jim Morrison, it said that he accidentally snorted heroin, thinking that it was cocaine. Alan Wilson of canned heat 1970 drug overdose brian jones 1969 drowned in a pool death by misadventure is what it was called they were drinking heavily that night if memory serves me jeremy ward from the mars volta heroin overdose in 2003 mia zabata the lead singer of the gits in 1993 was found beaten raped and strangled on the streets of seattle so so many of these are big violent tragic deaths and i think that um the 27 club idea so often comes from the fact that these people were larger than life characters who we as a society maybe wanted more from uh, or Mm. or mourned what we could have had from them or we saw their talent and and what a loss it was and we kind of see it as our loss rather than the the tragedy of their own life. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's really kind of a selfish way of looking at it, really. And I think that probably dovetails into the whole so-and-so really isn't dead, he's still alive, because we just don't want to let go of that, whether it's you know Elvis or Michael Jackson or whoever it is that is the subject of those types of rumors. James Dean. Ex- yes, Same absolutely. Thing. Yeah, we... Um, we tie in our big feelings with that sense of loss and their death at, at that young age, regardless of whether it's 27, 26, sure. 28, you know, that we, we feel like maybe there was more that they could have offered. And, and it does seem tragic because of the talent that's involved there. But Otis Redding, as you mentioned, um, he died. I can't remember if it was 26 or 28. And that's just as tragic. We love us some Otis. We really do. These arms of mine. That was one of our first dances. It was. Sorry, I just really wanted a reason to talk about Otis Redding there. I don't blame you. I'm with you on that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, there are so many songs that mention you know the the idea of the 27 club and um there's a 
documentary that's actually in the works right now that talks about exactly that. But um, many, many studies have been done that show that it's just not a real thing, that if we had this cultural idea of a 26 club, we would be able to point out all the people who tragically died at the age of 26. And it's just because of that one period of time between 69 and 71 that those four main uh, musicians died that that we pointed to and said, oh my gosh, they all died at 27. Sure. Can you believe that? It was just a weird coincidence that led to this cultural phenomenon that, that people now accept as being a thing when it is, in fact, not a thing. So when do the most musicians die? Yeah, what age? Lay it on me. 56. 56. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, age 56 had the highest frequency of deaths at 2.2%. These are musicians? Correct. Okay. Notables dying at this age include Eddie Rabbit, Tammy Wynette, Johnny Ramone, Chris Ledeau. Like we said, at any age, you can point to and say, look at all these artists who died at this sure, age. Sure, It really is just the, just the fact that... Those four in that short period of time brought the attention to the age 27. That's the only reason that this this idea exists. And then decades later, Kurt Cobain dies at 27 and everybody goes, see? Right. And, you know, plenty of artists died at the age of 27 between those four, mm-hmm. Jimmy, Janice, Brian, and Jim, and Kurt Cobain. But because Kurt Cobain, I think, had such a cultural impact yeah. because of how heavily his death hit so many of us sure, sure. it kind of renewed that idea and plus he had the same type of iconic stature that jim morrison had or or brian jones had exactly probably more than brian jones and and so many um of the people who have died at the age of 27 that that we uh, idolize did have those big tumultuous lives. Amy Winehouse, the, it's shocking that she made it to 27. Yeah, it really is. That the fact that she died at 27 isn't surprising at all. And so Well, when it, I when I heard the song Rehab, yeah. I knew it was a matter of time. It's a it's not a mystery that she died at the age of 27. It's a mystery that she made it that long. And whether that was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy or if it just, you know, your opportunities of drinking yourself into a coma are only so many before eventually you die, I don't know. But there's definitely a link to the way that these people have lived their lives for the most part and the way that we we view their connection to the 27 club mm, that's fascinating i think so i had no idea cuz i you know i just assumed that the 27 club was legitimate because you know i i knew for a fact that those four from the 60s had all died at 27 right and i knew that kurt cobain had died at 27 so i just well okay well there you go there's the proof but statistically it's not true there was a biographer um who wrote about Jimi hendrix and kurt cobain his name was charles r cross and he said the number of musicians who died at 27 is truly remarkable at any standard. Humans die regularly at all ages, he said. But there is a statistical spike for musicians who die at 27. Hmm. And I think people who know about music and see these patterns, you know, of course they're going to think things like this, but that that statement is just not accurate. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thanks for clearing that up for me. You're welcome. Thanks for shattering all of my dreams. Oh, dreams is the wrong word. Romantic 
f- fantasies. <sighs> Never mind. Well, it's the James Dean thing. Too fast to live, too young to die. You right. Know? Which is part of the problem, I think. It's that idea that we we do romanticize this uh, live fast, die young kind of thing when really it's just gross and stop it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we romanticized as a society the death of Elvis Presley and he died on the flush. Right. And it's it's interesting that we want both things from these people. It's like, oh, we want you to provide us with this entertainment and this this talent. Uh, but we also want you to be something that we think is cool. And it's, you know, it's, it's never cool to choke on your own vomit or die on the flush it's not it, it's a real thing that people become so uh big and there's so much pressure put on them and they cannot handle it without self-medicating mm-hmm. um and so that's one of the reasons why squashing the stigma of mental health issues is so important is because people legit need help yes. dealing with yep. these pressures and if they can't get that help or they aren't willing to seek that help because of the social stigma that comes with it, then they'll just die. Yeah. And it's it's terrible and sad. And it's, it's a great reason to really, um, as I said, squash the stigma. I, I'm with you on that. And I have a little bit more of a personal experience than maybe some do because I suffered from extreme depression for a couple of years, just some horrible things going on in my life, and I didn't know how to get out of it. And I actually didn't even really know how bad it was. When you can't see the light, you don't know how dark it really is. Mm. And it takes somebody to come along and offer you a hand and say, you can get out of this. You can you can climb your way out of this, even though you can't see the edge of the hole that you're in right now. It is lighter up there. And you did that for me. Whatever. And if if you know anybody that, that is going through that and you can reach out to them and show them that there is hope, then um, I would encourage you to do it. I wish I had a fart joke right now. Yeah, but, that would be nice. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway. Anyway. Anyhoozle. Oh, this got real. <laughs> it's the Box of Oddities. Two times a week. We love having you here. We appreciate hearing from you. And uh, maybe someday we'll all meet. We'll have a freak convention somewhere. I love that idea. Wouldn't that be fun? Well, we've talked about doing a freak cruise. And I think that is like the thing. Hey, if you have any interest in that, send us a a message. And uh, maybe we can organize something like that. I, I know one of our freaks, a little sprat, would be all over it. For sure. And I promise that on Monday, my topic will be light and fluffy. Okay, good. Because this got dark. (laughs) The Box of Oddities. Normally, I would say we'll see you Monday, but um, I can't make any promises. But there might be a surprise this weekend. Bonus episode. That's all I'm saying. I can't believe you said that. Well, it's... Yeah, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) You... you, Well, you just said everything, so you can really leave it at that. And that's... That's... Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say any more of the bonus episode on Saturday. Mm, maybe. But it'll be a different kind of thing. It's not going to be, well, see, I don't even need to get into it. <laughs> but I'm not going to get into I'm it. I'm not going to get into it. But it's totally an interview. It's, yeah. And it's totally going to be cool. Yeah. But that's all. That's, that's all we're saying about okay. it. Yeah. Zippy zip. Don't ruin it. Why do you have to ruin it all the time? <laughs> all, right, all right. So we'll, we will see you either uh, Saturday or Monday, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's going to be Saturday. Yeah, probably. Anyway, until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.